Hello and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And today our topic is radical forgiveness, and our guest is Colin Tipping. Colin was a teacher at London University before emigrating to the United States in 1984, and in 1997 became the author of the popular book Radical Forgiveness, and he's been traveling around the world ever since, spreading his message. I've heard forgiveness often called the gift that you give yourself. What does that mean? Well, you could say that it's a selfish act in that sense, because you're really doing it for your own health and welfare, especially your emotional health and welfare, although that does, of course, have knock-on effects to your physical and medical welfare. So, yes, it is. It's, it's, it's something that you do for yourself. You don't do it for the person that you are forgiving, although there is an effect that happens um, energetically between you and the other person, but you don't, do, you don't do it for that reason. Forgiveness is something you do specifically for yourself and as an internal exercise. You don't even have to tell the other person that you're doing anything. What do you mean when you say there are no accidents in life? Well, this is the essence of radical forgiveness and where it makes its departure from the kind of forgiveness that we were brought up to understand. This is where, with radical forgiveness, we take that extra step and say that, uh, you know, although this person has done something seemingly terrible to me, for which I, I either have to forgive or want to forgive or don't want to forgive, that there may be another reason beneath the surface that why this happened. And so with radical forgiveness, we ask people simply to open up to the possibility that everything does happen for a reason and there are no accidents. And that what happens to us, you may sometimes imagine that it's happened for us in the sense that it's helping us to learn and grow spiritually. So it's a benefit to the soul, not necessarily to our human experience, but from a soul experience as a it may be that uh, it's exactly what that what that soul wanted and came in to learn and has in fact enrolled people to or other souls shall we say have enrolled other souls to work with us and give us the experience that we in fact uh, signed up for. Is that the major difference between traditional forgiveness and radical forgiveness? Yes, it is. It's the one big difference. I mean, with traditional forgiveness, it asks of us a great deal in the sense that it wants us to exercise compassion and empathy and understanding, mercy, and all those wonderful human qualities. But with radical forgiveness, it just goes that extra step and says, okay, you know, given that I can feel some understanding at the human level that there may be something I'm not seeing that's occurring at the spiritual level that that gives meaning to this experience that's beyond my ability to comprehend it. And that sounds like a bit of a cop-out because I always say to people, you know, you don't have to believe it and you certainly will never know the reason why things happen the way they do because we don't know the mind of God. But what we find is that when people do it, that they experience a shift and they experience a shift of energy which is... um, almost instantaneous, and has a dramatic effect on on how they feel, has a dramatic effect on the body, and has a dramatic effect on their lives. So something is going on. You don't quite know what it is, but something happens energetically to create this uh, shift, as I say. And this has an effect on people's health, on their life, and um, on their relationships that's, uh, that's really quite amazing. What is radical forgiveness therapy? Well, it's um, it's a form of therapy for the soul, if you like. It's a little different to psychotherapy. In fact, it's quite a bit different because it asks some different questions. 
if you think of psychotherapy or the, the, the regular med medical model that we normally think of as being therapeutic is the therapist or the doctor or the person that you're working with has three questions in their mind. They're saying, you know, what's wrong with this person? That's the first question or the first assumption that something is wrong. The second question is, how did they get this way? And then the third question is, how can I make them better or fix them? With radical forgiveness therapy, we work with a rather different set of questions. And instead of saying, what's wrong with this person, we are saying to ourselves, as we listen to them telling their victim story, what may be perfect about what, what is happening for this person? Second question is, how is the perfection revealing itself, if at all? And the third question is, how can I get the person to see that there is a certain spiritual perfection in what is occurring? So that's the difference. And you usually move from one to the other. If somebody comes to see a therapist, they will normally expect the first set of questions to be in the therapist's mind, and it will be in their own mind, because they're coming to a therapist to help get sorted out or fixed. And then uh, w when you're doing radical forgiveness therapy, you proceed along that pathway until a certain time where you then say to the person, well, you know, are you open to a different way of seeing this, a, a new perception, um, a new interpretation of this story? And if they are, then we can proceed with this idea that uh, even though what is happening seems to be awful and shouldn't be happening and at the human level is very painful, that it could be something that we've actually chosen at the soul level to experience for our soul's growth. And then the therapy proceeds from there. You've said that radical forgiveness isn't really therapy in the normal sense of the word. Is that what you meant, that people are coming in with one set of expectations uh, well, type of process? Well, it's not therapy in the sense that, uh, that, that it really fixes anybody. It's much more of a process of education. And so that's why people who are not necessarily psychotherapists are able to do this because it's, they're really teaching people how to see things in a different way. And then it's up to the person themselves really to undergo whatever shift happens within them. So it's not therapy in the sense that somebody is, is intentionally fixing or changing you. It's therapy for the soul in the form of education, educating the person to see it differently and to connect with what seems to be a greater truth. How difficult is it for most people to realize that we are the creators of our own lives and that we have, in fact, set up these circumstances in order to help us learn and grow? It's challenging, and a lot of people, though, can switch to it pretty easily. I think, you know, it's almost become a common part of our language to say that, you know, there are no accidents or everything happens for a reason or, you know, everything is divinely gu guided in some sense of the word. So compared with 10 years ago, it's much easier to get people to be open to this possibility. As I said earlier on, it's not necessary to have a belief in it or to have any ability to, to figure it all out. That's, that's just not possible. But just being open to the possibility. And, and a lot of people are just by the evidence of their own lives and how things work out for them. They've observed that this is true for themselves. We usually find that people come to the workshops that are, are in their 40s and above, you know, so they've got a lot of life experience and they've seen it for themselves that beliefs will create the circumstances and um, that they've experienced a lot of synchronicity, so they're open to the idea. And once you, once people become open to it and feel that it will suddenly shift their energy, then they're very interested. <laughs> what are the five steps of radical forgiveness? 
Well, uh, since a lot of our processes are called steps, I, I call them the five stages. And this is the, the stages that you go through with anybody who is doing the radical forgiveness process. So stage number one is to tell the story and to have that witnessed and validated. Now, that can be, of course, with somebody else listening to your story or if you're doing a worksheet for yourself. And I do emphasize the need for us to use these tools, which I've created, worksheets and things like that. If you're doing one of those, then, of course, you're going to be validating it for yourself. But you're going through the story and writing it down and saying to yourself, this actually happened and it hurt and uh, this is what I feel about it, which is stage number two, just to feel the feelings and to be fully engaged in it from an emotional standpoint. And that's a step that a lot of people want to miss out. They don't want to feel the feelings, so they find all sorts of different ways to either go intellectual on it or, or go too spiritual on it too quickly. So the important thing is to, is to feel those feelings as they are, tap into them at least. And then the third stage is what we call collapsing the story. And this is where we're really bringing in the attributes of traditional forgiveness, of, of having some compassion, understanding why the person might have done it the way they did, what was the background, what would it have been like, had you been in their shoes, that kind of thing. But then the fourth step is the radical forgiveness one, which we call the reframe, and that's where we say, you know, okay, the victim's story is that I've been hurt and betrayed or abandoned, but the reframe of that is that, that maybe this is what I signed up for, this is what I enrolled this person or this soul to do so that I could experience the energy of betrayal or abandonment or whatever it was and that there was a certain perfection in that situation and a gift and a learning for me that makes it so that uh, we, we come to the understanding that nothing wrong really happened because we, in fact, asked for it to happen in some spiritual sense, and therefore there is nothing to forgive. So with radical forgiveness, you inevitably come to the understanding that there is nothing to forgive because nothing wrong ever happened. That's step number four. And then step number five, or stage number five, rather, is to integrate that somehow into the physical body. I do believe the physical body is the, is the antenna for our spiritual intelligence, which is what we're really using when we do this work. We're not using our mental intelligence. That's useless in this kind of work. Emotional intelligence does bring us into the process, but it's our spiritual intelligence that really connects with the truth and the universal intelligence that's really guiding the whole thing. So involving the body in some way if it's just doing a worksheet then you're just going to be writing if we're doing a ceremony we walk across a circle if we're doing a 13-step audio process you're saying answering yes using your voice so in some sense we're using our physical body to integrate the new shift of energy into the cellular structure of the body because that's where the victim story was lodged and that's where we believe that it has you know causes disease as an energy pattern in the physical body. We actually started doing radical forgiveness as a cancer therapy. That's how we started doing it, and that's how we developed the system of radical forgiveness because we needed something that was uh, very quick and very easy to do and didn't require them to do what most cancer patients spend their lifetime avoiding, which is uh, delving into their dark emotions and their pain and their anguish. They tend to uh, tend to avoid that and deny it, uh, repress it. So. When we were doing cancer retreats back in the 90s, it was a question of helping them to learn how to forgive because that's what they just hadn't been able to do that, so they just repressed it and uh, had an energy pattern of non-forgiveness. So we had to find a way that would be do it, could do it quickly and easily, and that's how we came up with radical forgiveness. 
Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. What are some of the other health benefits of radical forgiveness? Well, I think any immune system-related disease is very vulnerable to, to emotional stress. And emotional stress like repressed anger and resentment or repressed grief, any sort of repression of emotions like that is going to cause an energy pattern that will, I think, attack the or weaken the immune system first. And so any immune system-related disease such as MS or cancer or or lupus or any of those uh, systems that uh, that are susceptible to emotional stress is going to be helped by forgiveness, by doing the forgiveness work because it, it uh, eradicates that energy pattern in the physical body and in the, the subtle bodies too come to that, hopefully before they get into the physical body. So radical forgiveness, I think, is, is a very healthy thing to do for all sorts of different reasons and we've tended to focus on the uh, on the cancer benefits to, to cancer and that kind of thing. You said earlier that there is a shift with radical forgiveness. Yeah. What does it feel like? That's, a, that's an interesting question. What does it feel like? The thing that people say most of all after we've done an exercise is they feel a great deal lighter. They feel as if the weight has been lifted off of them. They feel as if they've genuinely released the anger, the pain, and the, whatever the, the feeling was that they had around the situation. And they may or may not feel more loving towards the person, but the hatred or the, the, the really heavy-duty emotions that they might have had around somebody that they were finding difficulty to forgive has lifted. And it seems almost immediate. Immediately you finish doing the process, there's a feeling of peacefulness. That's another quality that people say an awful lot. I feel a sense of peace now. You've said that time is not a factor where energy is involved. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, time and, and space really are not um, susceptible to the normal laws. Uh, so uh, if energy shifts, then it happens immediately, and it happens it, it happens between, you know, space is not a factor. That's what I mean there is that, is that if somebody's in Australia and you do the forgiveness work on them, they actually feel a shift in their energy too because something has happened between the energy between you and them. And the energy field is not bound by space, time, physics. So they feel the shift as well as you do at the same point. Now, what they choose to do with it, of course, is another matter. They may just ignore it. But they will feel something. And very often, you know that that happens because quite often somebody will do a forgiveness process on somebody that maybe they haven't talked to for 20 or 30 years. And within two days, they get a phone call or a letter or an email or something like that which is an indication that, uh, that that person felt the energy shift and brought the person to mind and decided to make a connection. I've noticed that your worksheets and workshops are actually in different languages. Does radical forgiveness translate into other cultures around the world? Yeah, it, yes, it does. It seems to quite well. Of course, all the English-speaking countries, that's fairly easy, but we found that, that um, the European countries have really taken it up uh, Germany in particular, 
the book is selling very, very well there, and uh, I'm in demand for workshops, uh, very much so in Germany and Switzerland and Austria, um, Poland as well. The book has recently been published in France, but I don't have anybody there actually promoting the workshop, so uh, I'm not sure about France yet, whether there's a good translation there. Interestingly enough, it hasn't been strongly accepted in England. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I'm English. I don't know. It's a little unusual. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I haven't really gotten to the bottom of that as to why a country like Germany would go for it, uh, you know, very very strongly, and and England hardly even notices it's there. There's something that I need to uh, to research on that. It would be interesting to find out. But I don't live in England, so it's hard for me to get a gauge on that. What does it mean that there is a spiritual world beneath the everyday reality? No, I do believe that, or at least I assume that. I think everybody in the world has some sort of metaphysical view of life, whether they use that as you know, whether you use religion to give expression to that, or just have a spiritual antenna, if you like, to there being this other world or this other form of being. But uh, I doubt whether we would have this universal experience of wanting some sort of uh, spiritual anchor, if you like, whether that be in religion or whatever, that everybody in the world seems to have. So, And then, you know, as I said earlier, the longer you live, the more you begin to realize that there must be something else beyond this physical reality that we use our five senses to perceive. We don't have the ability to perceive much beyond you know, certain ranges, and there must be something else besides that to explain a lot of phenomena that is otherwise unexplainable. What is your newest book, Getting to Heaven on a Harley, all about? (laughs) Okay, this is a a rather more humorous look at uh, the idea of radical forgiveness. The first paragraph of the story, the hero dies in the first paragraph, and once he realizes he is dead, then goes through a whole lot of adventures before deciding to take the trip towards the light, up the tunnel of light, and does so on, on a Harley. When he gets there, he meets the, his angel of incarnation, the, the angel that actually had set him up for his human experience, and they go through a life review. And the life review gives him insight into everything that had happened in his life and shows him how perfectly it was designed and, and what he got out of it and who helped him and which souls had set him up in the first place to do it, how many, you know, the soul agreements or the soul contracts that, that were made before he went in. So that's half the book or a third of the book. And, and then in, in, the, uh, in section two it said, now what if you were to die today and had your life review? Given what you've learned about this from Steve's story, how would you explain everything that's happened in your life in those terms? So it's looking at it in a rearview mirror, in a sense. You know, what if I was dead and looking back on my life? How would I see it? Colin, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about Radical Forgiveness. Anyone wanting to learn more about Radical Forgiveness should check out the website at www.radicalforgiveness.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back again next week with another edition But to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon. 